Welcome to Spirits Podcast, our last episode of 2021. It's a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week, you know it, we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I am still Amanda. I'm still Julia. And this is episode 264, Your Urban Legends, number 58. Can you believe, Julia, 58 episodes of Your Urban Legends? It feels right that we're ending the year on an Urban Legends episode. I know. It's our bread and butter, isn't it, in so many ways? It is. It's just wonderful. I love it so much. The three of us get together. We read stories that the conspirators send in to spiritspodcast at gmail.com. Anytime, folks, you can uh, you can write to us. And it's just, it's always so much fun. It's always a highlight of my week to get to record these. And I love seeing people's reactions on social as well. Just makes me feel closer to our listeners as well. You know what I mean? I feel like we're in the room telling you these stories. And that's what makes it so special to me. Absolutely. And we are taking a little bit of time off here at the end of the year. But because we love you and we know that you build your routines and your lives like we do around the podcast that we listen to, you're still getting this brand new episode. But we are going to be doing things like thanking our patrons and doing any other timely you know, announcements in the next episode. But it's going to sound a little different because, listen, we started the show. We started planning it in 2015. That's like 100 years ago in podcast terms. Mm-hmm. And the show came out in 2016. Here we are with 260 new episodes. And if we were to design the show now, we might do some things a little differently, such as it's nice to be able to get right into the episode. Don't you like that, Julia, when you turn on a new episode of a podcast and you're like, hmm, what are we getting into today? And they kind of like, they go right for it. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. They just grab it by the throat and they tell me about spooky stuff. Yeah. And if you're a new listener, you can be like, let's see what this is about. And a minute into the show, you're enjoying the podcast and not listening to two hosts who you don't know catch up with each other and recommend books to you. So for that reason, starting with episode 265, the next episode, our first episode of 2022, we're going to be doing all of our checking in, our housekeeping, our thinking of patrons, our announcing of merch and uh, recommending of books and our ads all in one nice chunky little break in the middle of the episode. Yeah. So that way we can just get to the heart of what you're here for, which is spooky ass shit. Spooky ass shit coming to you quicker, hotter, fresher than ever. So that'll start next episode. So we want to give you a little heads up so you are not taken aback when we open the show the same way and then we get right into the myth and you're like, what's happening? That's what's happening. That's what's happening. But for the final time before the episode, and as always, we would love to thank our supporting producer level patrons, Alicia, Hannah, Jack Marie, Jane, Jessica Kinzer, Jessica Stewart, Measlekins, Megan Moon, Phil Fresh, Captain Jonathan Malachi Cosmos, Sarah, Scott, and Zazie, and those legend-level patrons, Audra, Bex, Clara, Drew, J. Bay, Lexus, Mary, Morgan, Mother of Vikings, Sarah, Taylor, and BMF Scotty. Look for yourselves in a brand new position in the next episode, but still, same position in our hearts. Still there. Still the center of our hearts, truly. Absolutely. Amanda, I know that with a new year, it's new fresh time for you. What you've been reading, listening to, what do you just want to recommend to our listeners going into the new year? You know, I know it's a little bit corny, Julia, but shopping locally really means so much to me. I'm trying to, you know, reduce my ecological footprint and the strain on our, you know, postal system. Mm. And so I got most of my gifts this year from local businesses. Uh And it's something that I always try to do, but this year just felt particularly urgent. And, you know, money that you're able to spend in your community stays in your community and having a small business myself, like I know what a difference that means that $5 or $10 might not feel like a ton to you, but it makes a huge difference to the businesses near you. So even though we are past the prime kind of gift buying season for most people's winter holidays, I still think it's a really good idea. And next time you have a housewarming gift to buy or a birthday present, or, you know, you want to like send something nice to a friend or family member who lives far away, go into a local business that you think is cool, follow them on Instagram, up their mailing list and you know they'll ship stuff for you like they're they're awesome and i think getting to know your local businesses and spending money with them is an awesome habit to put into place for next year all year build up your community hooray 
so corny, but that's my recommendation. But speaking of building up your community, Amanda, why don't we tell our listeners a little bit about the other shows on the Multitude Collective, including Exolore, which is hosted by our good, good friend, Dr. Moya McTeer. Absolutely, who you'll be hearing from again soon with more advice from folklore. But if you don't get enough Moya in your life, which, I mean, honestly, none of us do, mm. then you can listen to Exolore. This is where Moya, who is an astrophysicist and folklorist, no big deal, explores fictional worlds by building them with a panel of expert guests, interviewing professional world builders and reviewing the merits of worlds that have already been built. No matter what kind of episode is coming out, I love it. And I know that you will love Exo lore as well. You might learn, you might laugh, but I know that you will gain an appreciation for how special our planet really is. So you can subscribe today by searching Exo lore in your podcast app or going to exolorepod.com. And trust me, it is a good, good investment in your time. Well, Julia, I know that you and I are going to be doing our best to relax and watch bad TV and spend some time just offline, just fully offline. But we hope that our listeners in this liminal week between years get the chance to do that as well. Yes, I really do. Take a deep breath. It's a new year. All right, folks, we will see you next Wednesday, as always, with a brand new episode. But in the meantime, enjoy Spirits Podcast episode 264, Your Urban Legends, number 58. Happy end of the year, spirits and uh, conspirators. Hello. End of the year. Time's fake anyway. So it is the end of the year, but also it doesn't matter when the year begins and when it ends for you. Whoa. Whoa. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. I'm like, my year is not going to change start January 1st. So uh, (laughs) why bother? Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, Jewish New Year already happened. Lunar New Year hasn't happened yet. It's just like, what is this even, man? Exactly. I do notice, Julia, that you are wearing uh, your Mothman sweatshirt, which should bring blessings to any time of year. I need good luck today, so Mothman it is. Yay! Mothman, coming to save the day. Yeah, always. My only objection is that if I wear the Mothman sweatshirt with overalls, which has been my winter uniform this year, no one can see the butt except for me. Yeah. But, you know, the butt lives in your heart. Julia, that's so true. (laughs) Thank you. So, guys... I know we love a good love story, right? You know, yeah. on this podcast, of course. we love a good love story. I mean, famously, our last episode was about that. That's true. But this time, let's talk about not The Spirit of Christmas, a Hallmark movie in which a woman falls in love with a ghost, mm-hmm. but instead, a ghost love story, The Ghost That Fell in Love with My Grandpa. Oh. Wouldn't you watch that movie? I would. I'd watch it. I'd also would. Yeah. So this is from Nicole and they write, hello, my three favorite drinking buddies. I've been marathon listening to spirits for the last three months or so, and I am so close to being caught up. I'm just going to dive right in and it's a bit of a long one. So strap yourselves in. Get get ready. Get strapped, yo. Oh, I'm strapped in. I'm strapped. This story did not happen directly to me, but has sort of become an inside joke in my family. Because let's be honest, when my grandpa came home from vacation and said, I think a ghost was flirting with me, everyone in the room chuckled. I need to know. Thank you so much. Please send me these kinds of messages. (laughs) So let's take it back 10 years to 2011. My aunt was living in San Antonio, Texas, in a large house in the middle of the city. She was sure it was... Was haunted and had taken pictures of what she believed to be the ghost's reflection in a window and a swirl of smoke coming from a candle that looked very distinctly like a woman's face. Oh. 
oh, that's too much detail from Smoke. (laughs) I think that like that was some sort of way of either fortune telling or divination was to like blow out a candle and then look at the smoke and see if a shape formed and then you could tell the future by that. Hmm. But I am not 100% sure. That seems tough. That seems like you'd have to be like real quick on the draw because smoke goes away pretty quick. Like tarot cards, you're like, here's a card. I know what this card means. I have this knowledge. I can I can add it to your life. But it's like smoke is like, okay, what's that look like? Oh, oh, it's gone. It's gone. It's too, it's over. I missed it. Fair, fair. Light another candle. But it does involve my favorite and most haunted of senses, smell. That's true. That's true. Candle being blown out. Very distinct smell. To continue, my grandparents went down to Texas, we live in Wisconsin, for Thanksgiving and stayed with my aunt, her husband, and her baby. Right away, there was nothing out of the ordinary, no voices or footsteps or cold spots, but my grandparents could tell that something was off. Most of the trip stayed that way. No encounters, just a general feeling of offness until the night before my grandparents left. Okay, can I have a quick straw poll here? Sure. If you had uh, relatives or in-laws staying with you and they said... Something's just off here. What would you do? I think I'd probably just be insulted and not take them seriously and then later pin that as the start or like an exit ramp, you know, off which I could have avoided like a movie trilogy's worth of hauntings. I just want to own up to that right now. I feel like, yes, I also would be insulted, but also depending on what the scenario is, like if I knew I lived in a haunted house and my relatives were like, something feels off, I'd be like, yeah, it's probably the fact that the house is haunted. (laughs) Do you want me to pitch in to get you a motel for the night or? Or like an Airbnb? I don't know. You also definitely would have warned them in advance because you're a a gracious hostess. Well, it seems like this woman did as well, you know? Like she's like, hey, I've taken pictures of what I think are ghosts and I'm pretty sure my house is haunted. You guys can't complain about offness when you go to someone's house (laughs) and they're like, hey, it's haunted. I think it really depends on the genre of relative. Okay. That's true. That gives you this. If it is a dad or an uncle, probably something wrong with the electrical. (laughs) If it is an aunt Someone like that, probably a ghost. If it's a cousin, they're just fucking with you. That's true. That's true. I'm also not saying like just women are the ones that are more likely to like, no, I'm just saying like, uh, like a dad would just like, it's like something's unlevel in this room. They just gotta, (laughs) they just got an inherent sense for that. Uh, So yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a big range, I think. You can be any gender and fit the genre of dad or auntie. Like we know Mm -hmm. what we're talking about here. Right. But also what we know from watching a bunch of horror movies is like stereotypically we put women in in the, oh, I sense something is wrong, but no one's going to believe me category. Yeah. This is a definite like cul-de-sac off the highway of our story or the main street of our story. But my like grandfather's aunt, I hear stories about sometimes. And obviously she died before I was born, but she like rode in like donkey races and like played softball and was really into tools and like had a pegboard with like her garage filled with like all of her tools and stuff. Stuff and just like was a famous like famously a spinster and when I was like I don't know 20 or 21 I was like oh she's a lesbian and Aunt Floyd was a lesbian yeah great and I just I just want to send some love out to anyone this holiday season or New Year's season who hears stories of relatives you never met and you're like hmm not the only queer one <laughs> you did it so we're picking back up the night before Brooke's grandparents have left the house So my grandpa woke up in the middle of the night because he felt someone nudging his shoulder. It was a soft touch as if whoever was trying to get his attention didn't want to make a big fuss or wake anyone else up if they didn't need to. My grandpa didn't roll over or even open his eyes because he assumed it was my grandma asking for something. What, he said, half asleep, but there was no answer, just more tapping on his shoulder. What is it, grandma's name redacted? No. 
a woman's voice replied. Confused, my grandpa rolled over to face that side of the bed and asked if it was my aunt, his daughter. No, the voice said again. This time, my grandpa opened his eyes since there should not have been any other women in the house. He didn't have his glasses on and it was very dark, but in the ambient light, he could make out a vague woman shape with curly hair wearing either a dress or a nightgown. He froze, assuming that it was the ghost my aunt had got a picture of a few weeks before and asked who she was. The ghost brushed his hair back out of his face and caressed his cheek just for a moment. Eleanor she said, and disappeared. We stan a team ignorant king. <laughs> this motherfucker, this motherfucker kept his eyes closed through three questions before he's like, fine, I'll take a look. Love it. I mean, also half asleep. If someone's like, uh, R Rose, what's wrong? And it's like, no. I mean, if someone's touching you to get your attention, though, I feel like that is a, like, I'm going to need to have my eyes open if someone's trying to wake me awake for some for some reason in the middle of the night. Mm. I'm just saying. I like the guy. I'm on this guy's side. <laughs> I feel like we might be, like, hitting a wall as, like, all three of us, like, childless people because I feel like if your child is, like, nudging you in the middle of the night, you don't necessarily open your eyes right away. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. At least from my experience trying to wake my parents up. But I get I get your point. I get like there's the habit of just being like, I'll turn whatever. <laughs> whatever. Whatever you want. So no one knows if Eleanor thought grandpa was familiar to her or thought he was a lover from the past or if she just took him Ooh. as handsome. Or a lover for the future, baby. <laughs> Got him. But it sounds like a very loving touch and maybe some soft flirting, if you ask me. I will not disclose who my aunt believes the ghost is now that she knows its name to protect anyone who may be living in the house now as she has since moved out. And due to the multiple times she has moved since she was in the U.S. military, the pictures of Eleanor have been, quote unquote, misplaced. Dun, dun, dun. That's suspicious. Thank you guys so much for reading, and I absolutely cannot wait to hear what you think of my probably very poorly recounted ghost love story. Stay creepy, stay cool. Love it. Well, we can uh, walk on over from Ooh. that story straight over to mine. So this comes to us from Cece, and she writes in with an email called The Walkers and The Runners. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. I am writing to you about some rural legends. These were handed down from a family member from the South, I think Texas or Oklahoma area, or from covens of witches I hung with in the North, think oh. Michigan, from personal experience. Real like spread here in terms of yeah. the story geography. I agree. I think also probably the like know a lot of Southerners and then later know a lot of Northern witches. I bet you're not the only one. I bet people do that. Yeah. Here are the two stories. The first one is titled The Walkers. That's the headline of the email. Dun, dun, dun. I'm not liking already the dramatic tension inherent in the fact that we go from walking to running. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's usually not for a good reason coming from a person like me who hates running. <laughs> the Walkers. There is a general experience held by many in the United States, but also by many around the world. When you're on a child on a long trip and somewhere along the way, your brain starts imagining things like men running behind or alongside the car. These are the walkers. This is something I always would think of on long road trips because I specifically on road trips, we had a station wagon and I was the lone person facing the other way. Wow. 
my sisters had the middle and then I had the back with like my Game Boy and a whole little setup. I just got to hang out back there chilling. But I always would like look out the window and be like, would it be crazy if you just saw something like running in the woods? We would also drive through the night for our vacation. So we'd leave at like midnight and get there in the morning. So yes, we'd like sleep, damn. but like you sometimes wake up and you just like be like, what if that happened? Wow. Of all my anxiety thoughts, I never had that one, but now I will. Luckily, you don't spend a lot of time driving places. So so this will be a, a, a brief and momentary experience for you in the times you are. No, for sure. Like not now, but I mean, I think this is a three versus four kid difference because mm -hmm. I never had a road to myself. Are you fucking kidding me? No, no, no. I was, you know, next to my brother who didn't fight with me or sometimes sandwiched between the twins who fought with each other. And then Connor, I guess, had his own row and then could stretch out or the cooler took my seat. But yeah, not not a thing I experienced. Damn that cooler. The fifth sibling. <laughs> <laughs> the fifth Eric, no, I had similar experiences because much like you, we would drive to a lot of our vacations. Like my parents loved the yearly let's drive 24 hours to get down to Florida. Damn. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Which I also much like you were explaining like, oh, yeah, I was sitting in the back seat with my Game Boy and my, you know, all my stuff. Gotta have your Game Boy. Gotta have that Game Boy. My only child status, I had like four books from the library, the Game Boy. Damn. At some point, we like upgraded to a portable DVD player so I could watch DVDs oh, yeah. in the back. Oh, yeah. yeah. I felt like I was almost either always sleeping or too distracted by the media that I brought with me to really pay too much attention to the outside. Yeah, I mean, ro road tripping is just it's a it's a delightfully weird and bad experience and also great at times. Mm -hmm. I want to do more adult road trips, I feel like. Yeah. I know. So CC continues since we've only gotten about one sentence. <laughs> Sorry, CC. So no, it's okay. <laughs> According to the legend, I know they are fairy creatures, one of illness and poison. The walkers are trying to get to the children they are chasing after and are responsible for the first big heavy illness of the child that they will experience. For some, it's chickenpox. For others, it's scarlet fever and other illnesses that they could have. Should the walkers catch up to the child, they will fall ill. Should the child succumb to the illness, their remaining life will be consumed by the walker. Should the child survive, the walker's life is then linked with the child. And when the child passes away, they will in the same way. So there's no real winning here. Mm, no, not really. I think the kind of goal is like if they get the energy from the child, they win. But if uh, you got a real powerful kid, no good for you. <laughs> How strong is your baby? <laughs> so the walker takes the place of a guardian angel, ensuring as little harm comes to the child as possible. Well, there's your deal right there. Okay. If they become linked, you have to now protect the child because you're protecting yourself. Sure, sure. That makes sense. I had chicken pox as a child and it did almost kill me. And I was told this story by a group of witches that explain why every single car crash I have ever been in, I survived. I was even T-boned in the driver's side by a semi-truck. But when the police and fire department arrived, they were surprised to see very little blood at all, even though my vehicle was pretty much completely crushed. Wow. Wow. Damn. After a stranger helped me climb out of the wreckage, I was just standing a few feet away. And when I described the stranger to passersby, witnesses said that there was no such person that was there that evening. Mm -mm. I told my witch friends, they said it must have been my walker who was the person responsible for my chicken pox. Oh, hell no, bro. Don't like that. Don't like the, oh, someone helped me out of the wreckage and then they didn't exist. Yeah. I also just don't like the word witnesses in this case. Like, I know why it's here, but I'm just like, ah, oh, no. I don't want you to witness that. Stop it. So I think before we uh, run on over to the <laughs> runner story, no. we should walk to get a refill. 
All right, let's go. No running with glassware. That's very prudent. Okay, let's go. Amanda, the holidays are stressful, but what if we had comedy that could come right to our ears and tell us stories about someone else's stressful holiday, honestly? Yeah, only if it kind of takes down capitalism and reminds me of Shaun of the Dead, though. Can you do that? Absolutely, because Amanda, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Black Friday, which is a Rome production. Rome is kind of like part podcast studio, part magical refuge, and they create original fiction podcasts, including official continuations of popular franchises, like maybe Orphan Black? I don't know. Oh, oh yeah. But the one that I want to tell you about today is Black Friday. It is about Bob, who is working on Thanksgiving, but also just found out that he got laid off from his corporate job, then has to deal with some zombies at a store. And that's not good. That's not fun. That's not fun for Bob. No, no, it's not. But it stars Fred Armisen, you know, that Saturday Night Live veteran, and also has a great and like, honestly, pretty diverse cast. They have a bunch of LGBTQ actors. They have Latino and Black actors. I feel like you guys would just really enjoy this if you like spirits and you like things like gore, but also giggling. Gore and giggles. Office space you know, British sitcoms, you'll enjoy it. Exactly. So you can learn more about Black Friday at realm.fm and be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Julia, we are also sponsored this week by Brooke Linen, and I have been fully spoiled and fully converted my loungewear over to Brooke Linen. I put on a Brooke Linen tank top uh, yesterday after a bath, and I was just like, gosh, it's amazing how getting dressed doesn't feel like a compromise and a bummer when I'm able to put on my Brooke Linen tanks and loungewear and t-shirts and sweatpants and shorts. It's really cute, like fleecy, but also cool shorts. I really, really love them. And of course, we've talked about the Buttery Soft, aka my bed, aka it's a real problem. I have trouble getting out of it because it is so damn comfy and sleeping on other sheets. I just I'm spoiled now. And that's just the God honest truth, because Brooklyn's goal is to create beautiful, high quality home essentials that don't break the bank. And whether you are getting a gift for somebody or a gift for yourself and just kind of upping your comfort game at home, that is the place to do it. You can get comfortable this season and save while you do it by going to brooklinen.com. Use the promo code SPIRITS for $20 off with a minimum purchase of $100. That's brooklinen, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter promo code SPIRITS for $20 off with a minimum purchase of $100. One more time, that's brooklinen.com, promo code SPIRITS. Amanda, it's nearly the new year and probably the new year when a lot of people are going to be listening to this, which means we have to just take a moment to pause and reflect on just how bad your brain might have been these past couple of months, mm-hmm. this past year, really. Yeah. And let's just like take a second. We're going to inhale and exhale very slowly and then open up our phones and put on our Calm app because that is what really just saved me this season. And thank God we're partnering with Calm because they are the number one mental wellness app to give you the tools that you need to improve the way that you feel. You can clear your head with guided daily meditations. You can improve your focus with their curated music tracks. And you can drift off to dreamland with Calm's imaginative sleep stories, not only just for adults with stories about trains, but they also have children's ones as well. That's true. A friend asked me today for sort of like calming focus music to listen to while on a deadline. And I said, girl, get yourself a Calm app. And she did. Yeah. And if you go to calm.com slash spirits, you'll get a limited time offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of programming and new content is added every week. So you can sleep more, stress less, live better 
with Calm. You deserve it. For listeners of Spirits, Calm is offering a special limited time promotion of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash spirits. That's C-A-L-M dot C-O-M slash spirits for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash spirits. And now let's get back to the show. So it's the end of the year. What are we uh, rounding out the year with drink-wise, everyone? So I know we actually already kind of recommended the grow and fill meadery but i did have another one of their meads recently hey. yeah and oh oh baby was it good yeah i had the sour cherry recently uh with a friend and god it was delicious yeah i'm a big fan of the oaked amber mead which usually i don't like oaked things but it really adds a kind of some meads not grow and fill but some meads can be a little too sweet for me but the totally. oaked amber mead is like almost like drinking a very nice amber ale with that little hint of like dry sweetness it's beautiful it's delightful in between cans of mead i have been enjoying not all on the same night because i'm i'm not that young anymore one of my favorite whiskey producers van brunt here in the city makes a campfire whiskey which is a blend of smoked corn whiskey and rye it is delicious it has a hint of smoke at their tap room in red hook brooklyn they make a cocktail with this and because it's seasonal i always make sure that i grab a bottle in the fall or winter time so that has been my uh, absolute favorite recently. That sounds delicious. Mm -hmm. I've been going back to my my personal favorite Christmas ale, Fistmas, <laughs> which I just feel like it has the right attitude for a Christmas ale. And the right name. It's got Santa wearing a big barrel. Oh, yeah. And it just makes you want to makes you want to go to town on some Christmas ale. Hell yeah, dog. That sounds Delish. delicious and delightful. Tis the season, bud. It is the season. It is. It is of the season. So now we will uh, continue our story about the runners from CC. Do we have to? Do we have to? Do we have to? Yeah, the walkers already had me concerned. I mean, we don't have to, but it feels like we've already set it up and we'd okay, have to like okay. pre-record okay. a whole thing. And I don't know. Oh, no, we're not going to do that. I think we just got to do it. This is our job and I love it and I love you guys and I love our listeners. Okay, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. I mean, you won't have to run after this. Okay. They're running. <laughs> All right, phew. So this story is about Amanda McLaughlin, the person who had to run. <laughs> Not much is known about the runners, but what we do know is that they are seen best in late summer or early fall running between bodies of water. In the evening, just after the sun has set, when there's still a gray, hazy light over the world, you can see them best. They look as though a shadow has been detached from its person, kind of like vague, hazy, person-shaped figures out there. Hey, this oh. is kind of rude that this listener wrote in an email specifically about me during the summer. <laughs> mm, mm, that's you? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're just kind of a hazy figure running between bodies of water. You got me. You got her. They always run between two bodies of water as though they ran out of one and directly into the other. I'm from Michigan, a place that has more shoreline by volume than anywhere else in the world. So it's not frequent that in my home state you can see a lake and a pond sitting close by each other, or even a lake and a river, you know, a lot of water around each other. That's a fun fact that I didn't know about Michigan. Fascinating. Right on. I was just in Michigan this summer, and it's true. There was Lake Michigan, <laughs> and there's a little river, and then we were on a lake, and then there was a whole bunch of other water all over the place pretty much. <laughs> Love it. There was a lot more water in my one week in Michigan that I, that I see most of the time I'm in Ohio. That's fair. <laughs> Honestly, maybe they should switch with Minnesota, because Minnesota is what, the land of a thousand lakes? They got a thousand lakes, but do they have enough volume of lakes? Mm, yeah, you question. got me there. Minnesota's bigger. Yeah. Mm, that's true. 
They got some puddles that they call lakes up there. And I'm sorry, it's actually 10,000 lakes, not 1,000 lakes, 10,000. 10,000 lakes? I mean, some of those are 100%. A new, it rains a little, there's a little puddle, like, that's another one. That's a new one. The uh, the county where my grandfather is from in Ireland is the Lake County Leitrim, which I have previously been describing as the West Virginia of Ireland, because mm. the ratio of sheep to people is closest, I think, in West Virginia than any other state in the U.S., but maybe I'll have to describe it as the Minnesota of Ireland. Mm. Mm. Or the Michigan, land, apparently. Land of 10,000 lakes. I just realized that's why Land of Lakes is named that. It sure oh is. God. The butter. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that's embarrassing. That's embarrassing for me. No, it's not. It is between a little pond that sits in the forest next to my parents' house and the main river that runs through the town my parents live in that I have seen the runners. They rise out of the pond like a ghost of someone long fallen in, and they begin to run, and they run all the way through the town, into the river, where they just vanish. What? Nothing stops them from their path. No cars, no walls, no lamps. They pass through them all with ease. Reminder, the lamps are important since they're kind of shadowy mm -hmm. figures. Mm -hmm. They're not just like bumping into light. <laughs> Which would be very funny, but not what happened. They appear harmless, but there is a pattern. During the winter and the spring, they are quite quiet. Only one or two a week may be appearing. During the summer and fall, you might as well be watching the Boston Marathon. <laughs> Hundreds of thousands of these shadows, and as with most things of this nature, adults seem to not be able to see them without some severe altercation in the state of your mind. So, you know what? You know what's legal up in Michigan? Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. That kind of brings up a question for me because whenever I hear these stories, it's like there's tens of thousands of these spirits running around all through the summer. I'm like, can I get like secondary confirmation? Are you the only one seeing these? Is everyone else seeing these? Is it something that's talked about in your town? I need to know. But on the other hand, there is like the high pitched tones that only people under a certain age can hear. And that when I was a kid was kind of like confirmation to me that all these novels in which kids can see things that adults pretend are not there or can't perceive was totally true. It feels a little bit magical in that way. Yeah. You guys are a bit younger than me. So was this a thing? Like it was a thing when like kids started getting cell phones, people would make their ringtones just that high pitched noise <laughs> so that their parents yes. couldn't hear them. Yeah. Was that still happening? Because I feel like it was like, we're kids and we're the first ones with cell phones. So we're doing this. But like, I wasn't sure if it like passed on since you guys are a few years younger. I don't recall that being a thing. But Amanda, you might speak to it better than me. I think I heard of people doing it or people joking doing it, but like I got my first phone like going into middle school. And so the schools knew enough to ban phones or you had to have them off mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or silent mode was like a must. Yeah. I think phones were prevalent enough that kids needed to find like a more substantial workaround. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. My ringtone was the MIDI version of The Late Show with Conan O'Brien, if anyone's wondering. Oh, you're such a hipster. I love you. I think my first ringtone was that song, Bad Day. I couldn't tell you who sings it. Bad Day. But you had a bad day. Da, da, wow. da, da, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mine was On Love and Sadness by Jason Mraz. Shock. Beautiful. <laughs> I, think, I think a lot of this sums up who we are as people yeah. somehow. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember sitting on the porch on one warm late summer evening and counting them with my sisters as they ran past. Okay, so there's my secondary confirmation. Yes, exactly. Yep. And my sister's friend fondly remember counting the shadows with us. So a couple people counting all the shadows as they go. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
my brain is just like, all right, what is the like logical scientific reasoning behind this? What are these shadows? Is it like the transference of heat from the water after the sun goes down and it's creating like clouds of some kind? I don't know. Who knows? As I have gotten older, I've lost the ability to see them. But if I smoke a joint, which once again is legal in Michigan, Woo. and I do my best to simultaneously pay no attention while paying attention, I can still see them. So you got to really be in that like zoned in, zoned out mode. Expanded mindset. We know they aren't ghosts as the pond is a field runoff pond that only exists for six months out of the year. And there is no record of death caused by that pond or burials underneath it. Mm. Furthermore, they can be seen at any body of water, even the ones here in Vermont where I live now. They are harmless and we have not noticed them affect wildlife in any way or that they cause damage to anything. They're not even that spooky. In fact, they don't seem to notice people at all. Hmm. So, I mean, all in all, pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. Listen, I would just regard this like bird migration or northern lights. Like, that's a cool thing that happens. And I'm just going to make sure I'm not in the way of the birds as they migrate. Yeah. Uh, that was awesome. Thank you, Eric. And thank you, Cece. Would you guys like to hear about a haunted house turned haunted hotel in Australia? Obviously. Of course. Of course. This comes from Phoebe, she, her, who titles this Mama Psychic Haunted House Turned Haunted Hotel. Nice. She writes, so my parents are of the kids go where we go school of parenting. Sure. And my mom is psychic. Or so she says and believes. And while the rest of our families are naysayers, when I think about the events below, I find myself not able to say nay. When I was eight or nine years old, we moved from Canada to Australia for a work project my dad took on. He's an engineer by trade, but a dabbler by nature. We moved to Australia for about a year, maybe more. I had to move up a grade. Side note, did you know all the schools over there require school uniforms? They do. And my schools were hideous and itchy. Skirts every day sucks. Yeah. No good. My dad had decided to tackle a real estate project, redeveloping an old-timey mansion in central Melbourne into a boutique hotel. Already a bad idea. Already terrible. Julia, what are you thinking? What are what are the risks here? Any any media in which someone is like, we're going to flip to this place and we're going to make money off of it. This old place with a lot of history. It'll be fine. Never works out. Guys, mm-hmm. it's always haunted. I don't think we've established this, but I just feel like Australian ghosts are way more intense. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I just feel like they're rearing to do a good haunt on you. I couldn't agree more. This house was a grand mansion with soaring ceilings, three floors, and a cellar. It was a huge and ornate thing, curly-cued and crown-molded and wainscoted as fuck. At eight years old, it was the largest building I'd ever seen, and it had once been someone's home. This didn't compute. How could I correlate what I was seeing with my current definition of single-family home? This massive, pale-stoned edifice with its grand columns and multiple chimneys which seemed to nip at the sky. It even had a small ballroom with partially intact crystal chandeliers. Can you remember the first time you realized a staircase could be fancy or stone could be beautiful? For me, that happened there. Had these people been far-flung royalty? Nope, just really wealthy and in Melbourne. Sure. My father would often bring us along when he was stopping in to visit the work site, or my mom would bring us there to meet my dad for lunch. Okay, at the very least, thank God it's not like we're going to move our whole family into this place as we renovate it. Oh, yes. A real conjuring situation. That wouldn't have been good. It'd be real bad. Yeah. 
we've just started the British version of the TV show Ghosts, which I think has been adapted for CBS here in America. And it's literally this. It's mm -hmm. literally about a couple gets gifted an old house that they turn into a hotel and there's a bunch of ghosts. Mm -hmm. How are you enjoying the British version? I didn't realize it was adapted because the American one, I'm getting so many ads for it and I'm kind of annoyed at this point. We've only watched a couple episodes, but it does star someone who was in a recent season of Taskmaster. Mm -hmm. And that's good. And overall, it's 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 just light, delighted, little fun, little fun thing. Nice. 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 There were also times when we had to dress up so we could be shown off to potential investors viewing the property. As a kid, I had many dimples and was very adorable and got trained to be polite and chatty when smiled at, to lend my dad and his partners that aura of wholesome family values and trustworthiness. My dad is a great human, but it's also real estate, so, you know, you got to sell yourself a bit. Hmm. While the cellar and main floor were off limits as they were occupied by architects, designers, and workmen, we had our run of the upper floors during these visits. Each bedroom had a different color theme reflected in the stonework and tile of the fireplace and mantle. Oh. Yes, oh. a fireplace in each room blew the fuck out of my mind back then and now. Yeah, yeah. Time had passed, and save the stairs and something of the ballroom on the main floor, I can't recall a lot about the interior, but I distinctly remember three of the bedrooms on the uppermost floor. The green room, the blue room, and the pink room. See, once you started naming rooms, mm -hmm. you're in for a bad time. <laughs> and if you've named them by color, I know, yeah, yeah, color, naming a room by color, I am going to say is worse than naming it via some other method. I feel like that is the spookiest way to name your rooms. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I think so, too. When I turned nine, my mom took me on a tour of the White House because I was that kind of kid. I was literally thinking about the White House names of rooms when yes. I was making this thing. And I remember the tour guide walking us around and then being and then being like, what do you think this room is called? And like pointed around and somebody was like the blue room. And he was like, "Uh, yeah. And I was like, what do you expect? It is called the blue room. Like, and it's blue. Like what? The, the dishes room? Like that would be a much worse name. The China room, which I think God. is a real room in the White House. Oh, God. I'm annoyed at that person. It was 2001. Come on. All right. I spent a lot of time up playing on the third floor as I waited for my parents. Time would stretch into an infinite tediousness particular to a kid stuck waiting for their parents to finish boring adult stuff. For me, side note, that was typified by Home Depot Expo. Yes. Whenever my parents would go there, I'm like, you can't even play with tools. It's just carpet. Just anytime my dad would be like, you want to go for a drive, Julie? I'm like, yeah, dad. Yeah. I'm like four years old. Let's go over a drive. And then we pull into the parking lot of Home Depot. I'm like, you lied to me. <laughs> oh, no. I remember wanting to spend my time particularly in the green room where the creamy walls and ceilings seemed to stretch an impossible height and the fireplace and surround were all made of green marble. I'd never seen green marble before and thought I could have spent ages trying to pick out and name all the different shades of green and gray between the fine white veins. But even though I always started out in the green room, it didn't take long before I was in the blue room and then it'll be time to go. Mm. Allow me to be clear. We were allowed on the main and upper floors because it meant we would be out of the way. These areas were all pre-demolition. So aside from admiring the stonework, there should have been not much to occupy me for more than 15 minutes or so. If the mansion was a man, you would say he'd fallen on hard luck. Time hadn't been kind to it, in other words. Aww. The floors of the empty rooms were dusty and grit-covered. Some of the walls and ceilings showed cracks or water damage. Chunks of molding had fallen. Most of the windows were cracked or covered by clear plastic sheeting where they were missing altogether. So it's a mystery to me how I passed so much time in the blue room, often like two or three hours per visit. It was the smallest and objectively there wasn't much to see. Blue stone fireplace, decorative ceiling medallion with a missing light fixture, and a single cracked window. Around this time, I began to develop an impression of a young boy, shorter than I was at the time, kind of stout, with pale blonde hair in a sort of bowl cut, clothes of a kind I'd never seen before. 
an oversized pointed white collar edged generously in lace, lacy cuffs at the sleeves of his powder blue coat, in short pants, white long socks down to dark shoes. In his left hand hanging at his side was some kind of toy that I could never make out. On his down tilt of his face was an unhappy pout, long blonde hair hanging in his eyes. But the way in which I experienced this impression is a bit odd. Just a few moments after leaving the building and in quiet moments later that day, I would just see the kid in my mind. I also remember feeling very cold and often getting goosebumps while playing in the house, despite blazing Australian heat outside. This of course made perfect sense to my kid brain. Like, yeah, I mean, the house is cold. Why else would they have so many fireplaces? In all the other rooms, walls and stonework were cracked and chipped and very, very dusty, showing where time had breathed its dry breath and neglect had caressed the house with long, phantasmal fingers except the pink room. At the top of the grand stairs, the pink room was separated from all the other rooms by a long gallery. My sister, 10 years older than me, spent a lot of time in the pink room and was always upset on the ride home. At the time, I assumed that, like me, she'd rather spend time playing with friends or watching cartoons and didn't want to be there. No, she didn't want to leave. She didn't want to leave the pink room. So strong was the draw of the blue room for me that I only saw the pink room inside once. On a visit just before they were about to start demo on the upper floors, I heard my mom calling for me. She was shouting and in fact was using her sharp tone, which usually meant that I was in trouble. But her voice wasn't coming from downstairs like it usually was, but from across the hallway in the gallery. Weird. My outgoing social butterfly of a mom usually spent her time downstairs charming whomever and smoothing over my dad's engineerness with the crew. I crossed the gallery. My mom stood in the middle of a big room, my then 19-year-old sister leaning heavily against her, practically collapsed against her. I could tell from her face that my sister had been crying. My mom told me that I had to stay in the room until she called for me, and then she half-dragged my sister down the stairs. I had no idea what was going on. Did they have a fight? My mom didn't say I couldn't look around, so I did. It was a huge room, and pink entirely pink. The painted walls swirled with soft shades of blush and coral and rose. The trim was all in a reddish-toned wood like cherry or something. On the very long wall opposite the door, there were two sets of double French doors, which led to a long stone veranda. Julia shaking her head just mm -mm, more and more mm -mm, and more. Mm -mm. Yes, yes, I'm in. I peered through the doors with their perfect glass. I tugged the curling leaf-inlaid brass handles but couldn't open them, so I turned around. There was a fireplace much grander than in any of the other rooms. It was long and wide and made from slabs of red, pink, and white stone. It had a double fire guard of what looked like brass anchored into the stone that swung on a hinge. Never seen that before. Sounds cool as fuck. Mm. I swung it open and shut, and it moved quietly but very, very slowly because it was very, very heavy. The grate closest to the fire looked like a sheet of metal with punched out crosses and fleur-de-lis. On top of that was an outer guard of florid brass swirled and it smelled like pennies. The room was also so cold. So I moved on to the other doorway in the room. Beyond that doorway lay the ensuite bathroom, also pink. And I didn't like pink, but this room was changing my mind. I could fit my bedroom in this bathroom twice over. There was a pedestal sink made to look like Aphrodite, posed as in the bath of Venus, but with two winged cherubic cupids at each shoulder, holding aloft the basin of the sink. This is the coolest house I've ever heard of. This is very cool. It was amazing. There was a huge, wide mirror, beautiful brass taps, and the glass was speckled like old mirrors, but I thought that was kind of perfect. I stood there for ages looking at all the carvings in the mirror frame. Either gold or painted to look like gold. There were flowers and nymphs and angels, but my neck started to ache because I was looking at it for so long, so I went back into the big empty bedroom. The floor seemed clean, so I sat down. I looked up to stretch my neck, and I caught sight of the ceiling and laid down to stare at it. It had some kind of stuccoy treatment, so the ceiling appeared to be covered in swishes and swirls and seashells. The room was so cozy and warm now. I woke up much later to my mom standing in the doorway telling me it was time to go. She didn't actually even cross into the room, 
phone, but waited impatiently from the hall for me to wake up, get to my feet and walk out into the hallway. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Mom knows what's up. My sister never went into that old house again. The next morning, she came to breakfast wearing a sweater, which, as it was summer, February, in Australia, I shrugged it off, just being a weird thing, like older sisters are incomprehensible. <laughs> At breakfast, my mom announced that she called her cousins who lived outside the city, and my sister was going to stay with them, and there are many raucous kids in the country for a bit. Fucking yikes. What happened in that room? My sister went to go pack. We shared a room, so I followed her to get my teddy bear so she wouldn't get lonely without me in the countryside. My sister didn't notice me until she started changing and then screamed for me to get out. Since she was a teenager and I wasn't yet 10, that wasn't unusual. But I went back downstairs and said, Mom, what's wrong with Bandy's neck? A big dark bruise ringed her neck under her turtleneck. My mom scolded me for not starting my chores. And my sister spent two months out clubbing and suntanning with our loud country cousins. A little after that, my dad pulled out of the redevelopment project due to disputes over fair treatment for the workers. And two days before we'd be going back to Canada, my dad had to swing by the site one last time. I made for the staircase, but my mom would not let go of my hand or let me go upstairs. The next day, I asked my mom about the boy, as he'd been on my mind for so long. I expected her to say, like, oh, no, honey, you're confused. That guy was from a commercial or a bus stop movie poster or someone we saw once. My mom replied, that's the boy you play with at the old mansion. I didn't really get it. It came up a few years later, actually, at a family party we were hosting. My sister and I were on the back veranda with our mom and her sister, as my dad doesn't let anyone smoke in the house. My aunt brought up the real estate project in Australia, and my sister didn't say anything, but she was clearly upset. My aunt followed her in, and I asked my mom what was wrong. My mom explained that the old mansion in Australia had been thoroughly haunted. The house had been owned by a very wealthy land and cattle owner during colonial times. He was very affluent that when his first wife died and left him with two children, he was able to just import a new bride from England. His new bride was much younger and very delicate. She crossed the ocean to begin her new life with dreams of love and adventure. But her husband was very unkind. He had lots of affairs and didn't hide them. And as much as he was cruel and crass and unfaithful, though, he did shower his young bride with gifts and fineries to the point where he constructed her house so luxurious that the whole neighborhood spoke of it. It was sumptuous, but so was his guilt. And pink was her favorite color. Of course it was. Eventually, her heart hardened. She wasn't able to have kids, but her husband had many, many children with the other women that he was sleeping with. She ended up dying by suicide in that house. My mom wouldn't tell me how, and I'm kind of glad I don't know. And as my mom spoke, an image of the bride formed in my mind, not because my mom described her appearance, but because I remembered what she looked like (sighs) from when I was looking in that mirror and I saw her fair complexion and her delicate hands stroking my hair as she stood with me in front of that enormous gilt framed mirror. And my neck hurt, I realized, not because I kept looking at the frame of the mirror, but because I had kept my head down. My instinct had kept me from meeting her eyes in the glass. Her hands were gentle, and in fact, she just struck me as lonely. She stroked my hair, in fact, until I fell asleep in that warm room. It was hard to believe that earlier in the day, she had taken my pretty older sister... 19 and looking a lot like the woman I saw in the mirror and tried to strangle her. Between one visit to the old house and the next, my sister had had a birthday and went from being 18 to being 19, just like the bride. Before then, the bride's ghost had drawn her to the pink room and, in my mom's words, basically scolded and scorned her and warned her off from her husband. My mom had made me stand in the bride's pink room because she knew that that would calm the ghost and distract her from my sister so she and my mom could leave safely. Holy shit. Bold play by mom. And the blonde little boy, 
He was the husband's son from his first marriage, and the new bride had grown to resent him fiercely. He had became taken with me and kept me with him to play so I wouldn't go across the hall to the pink room. I don't know how he died. I didn't ask. My mom didn't tell me. He was just lonely, too. He didn't mean any harm and had quite liked me. Not quite like the spirit of the little boy in the other house, but that's another story. With fondness and affection, Phoebe. Okay, okay, okay. Hold on. Let's let's break this down really quick. Okay. One, I'm still very annoyed by the beginning of this story where they're like, my mother claims she's psychic and then all this shit happens and you guys still don't fucking believe her. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, she's got, she feels like she's got the deets. I think she knows what's good. Also, to turn on the mother very quickly, <laughs> you use your younger child yeah. to basically sedate a ghost that tried to kill your other child. What are you doing? That's bad parenting. Have them both removed from the house immediately. I totally agree. And like, if the ghost is tied to that room, then I think it's probably likely that like she can't leave, right? That like, as if you run out the stairs or there's there's multiple of you together, then you, you know, you can fight her. That might be where her, she has the most strength, perhaps, mm. you know, based on just all of the ghost media that I've seen in the past. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, boy. It's incredibly well-written, but a lot of bad choices were made in that story. Yes, extremely well-written. This is going to stick with me for a while, but thank you so much, uh, Phobia. I hope I'm not pronouncing your name wrong. P-H-O-B-I. Thank you so much. Gotta say, I think I called it about Australian ghosts. Mm -hmm. You did. Way up there. Way up there on the intensity. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that went hard, and I appreciate it. So, listen, we're going to drop the mic here. I can't think of anything creepier and hotter or colder to leave you with, conspirators. And we will see you next week for a brand new episode, brand new year. But remember, stay creepy. Stay cool. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us in your urban legends and your advice from folklore questions at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast, for all kinds of behind-the-scenes goodies. Just a dollar gets you access to audio extras with so much more, like recipe cards, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic, for every single episode, director's commentaries, real physical gifts, and more. We are a founding member of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. Above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please text one friend about us. That's the very best way to help keep us growing. Thanks for listening to Spirits. We'll see you next week. Bye.